welcome to Storytime with Keith. On today's episode, we'll be taking a brief detour from Pride and Prejudice. Don't worry, we'll be back with more chapters in the new year. This week's episode, The Red-Headed League by Arthur Conan Doyle. Before we begin, uh, just a quick note. It's going to take like every temptation in my body it's going to take every like ounce of willpower uh, for me to not try and read this like I'm Benedict Cumberbatch or Martin Freeman because this is, if you're not aware, a Sherlock Holmes short story. Um, due to the tenuous and complicated legal nature of the various Holmes stories, I'm not sure if this is in the public domain. Therefore, this is still only going to be a preview. Uh, so thanks for your cooperation and listening uh, and enjoy. I had called upon my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, one day in the autumn of last year, and found him in deep conversation with a very stout, florid-faced, elderly gentleman with fiery red hair. I'm not old. How dare they? How dare they? I'm red-headed. Are they talking about me? I don't know. With an apology for my intrusion, I was about to withdraw when Holmes pulled me abruptly into the room and closed the drawer behind me. You could not possibly have come at a bit of time, my dear Watson, he said cordially. I was afraid that you were engaged. So I am. Very much so. Then I can wait in the next room. Not at all. This gentleman, Mr. Wilson, has been my partner and helper in many of my most successful cases, and I have no doubt that he will be of the utmost use to me and yours also. The stout gentleman half rose from his chair and gave a bob of greeting, with a quick little questioning glance from his small, fat-encircled eyes. Try the settee, said Holmes relapsing into his armchair and putting his fingertips together, as was his custom when in judicial moods. I know, my dear Watson, that you share my love of all that is bizarre and outside the conventions and humdrum routine of everyday life. Excuse me. Oh, apologies. I know, my dear Watson, that you share my love of all that is bizarre and outside the conventions and humdrum routine of everyday life. You have shown your relish for it by the enthusiasm which has prompted you to chronicle, and, if you'll excuse my saying so, somewhat to embellish so many of my own little adventures. Your cases have indeed been of the greatest interest to me, I observed. If I kind of like oscillate between like an American and an English accent, it's because I'm really fighting back that temptation, like I mentioned. You will remember that I remarked the other day, just before we went into the very simple problem presented by Miss Mary Sutherland, that for strange effects and extraordinary combinations, we must go to life itself, which is always far more daring than any effort of the imagination. A proposition which I took the liberty of doubting. You did, Doctor, but nonetheless you must come round to my view, for otherwise I shall keep on piling fact upon fact on you until your reason breaks down under them and acknowledges me to be right. Now, Mr. James Wilson here has been good enough to call upon me this morning and to begin a narrative which promises to be one of the most singular which I have listened to for some time. You have heard me remark that the strangest and most unique things that are often connected not with the larger but with the smaller crime, and occasionally indeed, when there is room for doubt, whether any positive crime has been committed. As far as I have heard, it is impossible for me to say whether the present case is an instance of crime or not, but of course of events is certainly among the most singular that I have ever listened to. Perhaps, Mr. Wilson, you would have the great kindness to recommend your narrative. I ask you not merely because my friend Dr. Watson has not heard the opening part, but also because of the peculiar nature of the story makes me anxious to have every possible detail from your lips. As a rule, when I have heard some slight indication of the course events, I am able to guide myself by the thousands of other similar cases which occurred to my memory. 
In the present instance, I am forced to admit that the facts are, to the best of my belief, unique. Ooh, unique. Let me go into my mind palace so I can understand what he means by unique, you know? That's a Sherlock reference. That's a bad show. Well, let's start out all right. But anyways, the portly client puffed out his chest with an appearance of some little pride and pulled a dirty and wrinkled newspaper from the inside pocket of his greatcoat. As he glanced down the advertisement column, with his head thrust forward and the paper flattened out upon his knee, I took a good look at the man and endeavored, after the fashion of my companion, to read the indications which might be present by his dress or appearance. I did not gain very much, however, by my inspection. Our visitor bore every mark of being an average commonplace British tradesman, obese, pompous, and slow. Wow, mean. He wore rather baggy grey shepherd's check trousers and not over-clean black frock coat, unbuttoned in the front, and a drab waistcoat with a heavy brassy Albert chain, and a square pierced bit of metal dangling down as an ornament. A frayed top hat and a faded brown overcoat with a wrinkled velvet collar lay upon a chair beside him. Altogether, look as I would, there was nothing remarkable about the man save his blazing red head and the expression of extreme chagrin and discontent upon his features. Sherlock Holmes's quick eye took in my occupation, and he shook his head with a smile as he noticed my questioning glances. Beyond the obvious facts that he takes snuff, and he is a, that he is a Freemason, that he has been in China, and that he has done a considerable amount of writing lately, I can deduce nothing else. Mr. James Wilson started up his chair, with his forefinger upon the paper, put it but his eyes upon my companion. How in the name of good fortune did you know all that, Mr. Holmes? Yes, I'm, I'm not going to stick, stick with that accent, I'm sorry. How did you know, for example, that I did manual labor? It's true as gospel, for I began as a ship's carpenter. Your hands, my dear sir. Your right hand is quite a size larger than your left. You have worked with it, and the muscles are more developed. Well, the snuff den and the freemasonry? I won't insult your intelligence by telling you how I read that, especially as you're rather against the strict rules of your order. Use an arc and compass breastpin. Ah, of course. I forgot that. But the writing? What else can be indicated by the right cuff so very shiny for five inches, and the left one with the smooth patch near the elbow where you rested upon the desk? Well, but China? The fish that you have tattooed immediately above your right wrist could only have been done in China. I've made a small study of tattoo marks and have been attributed to the literature of the subject. The trick of staining the fish's scales of a delicate pink is quite peculiar to China, when, in addition, I see a Chinese coin hanging from your watch chain. The matter becomes even more simple. Mr. James Wilson laughed heavily. <laughs> well, I had never, said he. I thought at first that you had done something clever, but I see that there was nothing in it, after all. I begin to think, Watson, said Holmes, that I make a mistake in explaining. Omne ignotum pro magnifico, you know, and my poor little reputation, such as it is, will suffer shipwreck if I am so candid. Can you not find the advertisement, Mr. Wilson? That's right. I said advertisement instead of advertisement. It's a very, like, British thing that my mom and my grandmother have done occasionally. Yes, I've got it now. He answered with his thick red finger planted halfway down the column. Here it is. That, This is where it all began. You must read it for yourself, sir. I took the paper from him and read as follows. To the red-headed league. On account of the bequest of the late Ezekiah Hopkins of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, USA, there is now another vacancy open which entitles a member of the league to a salary of four pounds a week for purely nominal services. All red-headed men who are sound in body and mind and above the age of 21 years are eligible. Sign me up. Four pounds a week in 2020 money? I don't know how much that is. It's still probably not a ton, but you know what? I'll take it. Apply in person on Monday. Oh, yeah, no, there's a pandemic. Can't do that. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, 7 Pope's Court, Fleet Street. What on earth does this mean? I ejaculated after I had twice read over an extraordinary announcement. 
Holmes chuckled and wriggled in his chair, as was his habit when in spirits. <laughs> it is a little off the beaten track, isn't it? said he. And now, Mr. Wilson, off you go with Scratch and tell us all about yourself, your, your household, and the effects with which this advertisement had upon your fortunes. You will first make a note, Doctor, of the paper and the red and the date. It is the Morning Chronicle of April 27th, 1890, just two months ago. Very good. Now, Mr. Wilson? Well, it is just as I have been telling you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, said James Wilson, mopping his forehead. I have a small pawnbroker's business at Coburn Square, near the city. It's not a very large affair, and of late years it has not done more than just give me a living. I used to be able to keep two assistants, but now I only keep one. Now I have a job to pay him, but that he is willing to come for half wages so as to learn the business. What is the name of this obliging youth? asked Sherlock Holmes. His name is Vincent Spaulding, and he's not such a youth either. It's hard to say his age. I should not wish a smarter assistant, Mr. Holmes, and I know very well that he could better himself and earn twice what I am able to give him. But, after all, if he is satisfied, why should I put ideas in his head? Wow. Wow. Honestly, a good boss would probably be like, you know, I think you could do better, bud. I think you could do better. You should spread your wings. You should, you should succeed without me. Why, indeed. You seem more, most fortunate in having an employee who comes under the full market price. It's not a common experience among employers this, this age. I don't know why your assistant is not as remarkable as your advertisement. Capitalism. Fuck it, man. Fuck capitalism. Go home. Austin Walker, 2020. Oh, he has his faults, too, said Mr. Wilson. Never was such a fellow for photography snapping away with a camera when he ought to be improving his mind and then diving into the cellar like a rabbit into its hole to develop his pictures. That is his main fault, but on the whole, he's a good worker. There's no vice in him. He is still with you, I presume? Yes, sir. He and a girl of 14 who does a bit of simple cooking and keeps the place clean. That's all I have in this house, for I'm a widower and never had any family. We live very quietly, sir. Excuse me. We live very quietly, sir, the three of us, and we keep a roof over our heads and pay our debts, if nothing more. The first thing that put us out at that advertisement, Spaulding, he came down into the office just this day, eight weeks, with this very paper in his hand, and he says, I wish to the Lord, Mr. Wilson, that I was a red-headed man. Why that? I asks. Why? Says he. Here's another vacancy on the League of the Red-Headed Men. It's worth quite a little fortune to any man who gets it. I understand that there are many vacancies, that there are men. So if the trustees are at their wits' end, what do they do with the money? If my hair would only change colour. Here's a nice little crib already for me to step into. Yep, that's the voice I'm going with for this young man. Why is that then? I asked. You see, Mr. Holmes, I am a very stay-at-home man, and as my business came to me instead of my having to go to it, I was often weeks on end without putting my foot over the doormat. In that way, I didn't know much of what was going on outside, and I was always glad of a bit of news. Have you ever heard of the League of Red-Headed Men, he asks, with his eye open? Never. I, I mixed those voices up. There's too many quotation marks to follow here. <laughs> the conversation's getting way really nested. It's kind of confusing, honestly. Never. Why? I wonder what the, if you are eligible for one of your vacancies. And what are they worth? Oh, I mean, they have a couple of hundred a year, but the work is slight, and they need not interfere with much with one of these occupations. Occupations. Well, you can easily think that made me prick up my ears, for the business has not been over good for some years. And an extra couple of hundred would have been very handy. Tell me about it, said I. Well, said he, showing me the advertisement. You can see for yourself that the league has a vacancy and that this is the address where you should apply for particulars. As far as I can make out, the league is presented by an American millionaire, Ezekiah Hopkins, who was very particular in his ways. He was himself red-headed and he had a great sympathy for all the red-headed men so when he died it was found that he had left his enormous fortune in the hands of trustees 
with instructions to apply the interest and providing of easy bets to the men whose hair is of that color. From all I hear, it is splendid pay and very little to do. Sign me up. Seriously, I've got red hair. I've got a red beard. I'm perfect. I want, I want to live an easier life, don't we all? But, said I, there would be millions of red-headed men who would apply. Not so many as you might think, he answered. You see, it really is confined to Londoners and to grown men. The American had started from... I'm not eligible, I guess, because I'm a Dubliner slash American, but whatever. London when he's young, and then he wanted to do the old town a good turn. Then again, I've heard it is no use you're applying if your hair is light red or dark red. Anything but real black, blazing, fiery red. Fuck, I am shit out of luck here. Now, if you care to apply, Mr. Wilson, you just walk in, but perhaps it would hardly be worth your while to put yourself in the way for the sake of a hundred pounds. Now it is a fact, gentlemen, as you may see for yourselves that my hair is of a very full and rich tint, so that it seemed to me that if there was to be any competition in the matter, that I stood as good a chance as any man as I had ever met. Vincent Spalding seemed to know so much that, had, that I thought he might prove useful, so I just ordered him to put up the shirts for the day and to come right away with me. He was very willing to have his holiday, so as we shut the business up and started off for the address that he was giving us the advertisement. I don't know why I'm doing this raspy voice for him. I just, I just imagine him with this, like, raspy voice. It's, it's just how I see it, okay? Just just leave me alone, please. Let me live my life. I never hoped to see such a sight as that again, Mr. Holmes. From north, south, east, and west, every man who had a shade of red in his hair tramped into the city to answer the advertisement. Fleet Street was choked with red-headed folk, and Pope's Court looked like a coaster's orange barrel. I should not have thought there were so many in this whole country as were brought together by that single advertisement. Every shade of color they were. Straw, lemon, orange, brick, Irish setter. I guess that's kind of my red hair. Liver, clay, but as Spalding said, there were not many who had the real vivid flame-colored tint. When I saw how many were waiting, I would have given it up in despair, but Spalding would not hear of it. How he did not, it, I could not imagine, but he pushed and pulled and butted up until he got me through the crowd and right up the steps which led to the office. He's clearly good in a mosh pit. There was a double stream upon the stair, some going up in hope, and some coming back dejected, but we wedged in as well as we could and soon found ourselves in the office. Your experience has been a most entertaining one, remarked Holmes as his client paused and refreshed his memory with a huge pinch of snuff. Pray continue your very interesting statement. There was nothing in the office but a couple of wooden chairs and a deal table behind which sat a small man with a head that was even redder than mine. He said a few words to each candidate as he came up, and then he always managed to find some false of them which would disqualify them. Getting a vacancy did not seem to be such an easy matter after all. However, when our turn came, the little man was more favorable to me than to any of the others, and he closed the door as we entered, so that we might have a private word with us. And with that, I think we're going to call it. We're just going to call it. Um, again, this is The Red-Headed League. It's a short story about Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, you can find it online to read pretty easily. Um, you know, there's also a ton of Sherlock Holmes collections you can buy at stores. I used to have an incredibly fancy, uh, like fancy looking, but not really that fancy coffee from Barnes and Noble um, that I bought years ago that I read a fair few stories about Holmes in. Um, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting story. I'm obviously biased as a redhead myself. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we have one more special episode coming before the end of the year. It's another short story preview. And uh, yeah, once again, Pride and Prejudice will return early next year once I'm back in my main recording location and have access to my very particular copy of Pride and Prejudice. Um, as always, this has been Storytime with Kian. I am your host, your narrator, your sad, pathetic attempt to 
comedic relief, Kean Rice. Uh, you can follow me at the Kean Rice on Twitter. That's spelled T H E C I A N R I C E. Uh, when I'm not here recording podcasts, I work on Power Rangers: Battle for the Grid and Power Rangers: Legacy Wars by Enway Games. I also manage the Boston Festival of Indie Games online community and their social media accounts. If you have any ideas for future episodes, uh, please feel free to message me on Twitter. I uh, just say like, "Hey, listen to your podcast. Would love to hear you read this story." And you know, uh, maybe I'll read it on air sometime. Uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, I already have the next book after Pride and Prejudice planned out, but that doesn't mean there isn't an opportunity for, say, more side episodes, more specials to kind of break the, up the pace a little bit. Anyways, that's been another episode, uh, and until next time.